Welcome to the Southern Woodsman Podcast. We're going to talk hunting, habitat management, land buying and selling, and all things in between. We've got unique perspective here as we've got Mitt, who's an ag specialist who consults professionally and manages his own large farm. We've got Chris, the forester, who manages thousands of acres of recreational and investment property for clients and several of his own large tracts. And then there's me, who's hunting small tracts of lease land, public land, or hunting club land, mostly on weekends and after work and some days before work. So no matter where you're coming at this thing from, we've got some experience that you can leverage and get more out of your time and your dollar in the outdoors. We're glad you're here and hope you enjoy all right, we're live in the studio with the Southern Woodsman. Uh, this is Brent Lockler, and I'm in here with Mitt Wardlaw and Chris Herring. And, and right off the bat, if you're going to talk woodsmanship and, and hunting in our area of Mississippi, one of the first things that comes to mind is growing big deer. I agree. Everybody likes to see a big deer. Uh, so we want to kick around some things that, that, that you guys have done and, and what people can do to improve their odds of growing a big deer. I think, I think when we look at everything, everything that has to happen, everything that has to come together for that 150 to step out in front of you, a lot of things have to happen. A lot of things have to go right. So let's kick some of that around. Uh, what do you guys think? I agree with that. Um, you know, growing a 150, and, and you know, you could say Boone Crockett, but growing a 150 is what around our area, everybody's, you know, striving for so um with different factors and, and different things involved um you know Mitt, what do you think some of the strongest factors uh, as far as growing a big deer what, what is your what's what's something that jumps out at you that that you've used at your place and that you've studied well the the first thing that comes to mind is what all the smart people over at the university tell us and have told us for years that the the three things that that influence antler size which we're, we're all interested in is genetics nutrients and age no, i agree with so that. and every water cooler around at every workstation is, has that that topic around it and you got two schools of camp some we can't influence at all some we can influence you know very much and so i think negatively that a, and positively negatively and positively <laughs> and so that's what's the interesting conversation to me when we start talking about specifically on a track, which one of those three influences are the most limiting factor and then targeting that. Cause that's going to be out of those three things. When you divide it up, it's going to be different than your track, Chris versus mine. Now, that's well, right. Now, now that's, specific, the that's, the, hey, that's the recipe. That's the recipe. Like we're talking about, just, just for the record, just, just to kind of set this table, we're not talking about just growing a mature deer. We're talking about growing that mature deer that also hits that antler goal, that 150. That's right. And and 150 is just a, a minimum. It's mark. just a number. That's it's right. just a it's number. A number it, it's a it's a reachable reference. number when you know well as I do. We're sitting at this table. I mean, Mitch, you've grown a 170 over 170. You've grown two of them. I know of because I've been involved in both of them. Uh, you know, my girl killed a 184. So 150 is what we try to set as a as a goal. It's kind of like in a turkey world. It's that inch and a half spur. That's that number somebody throws out at the gas station That's or, right. or at Walmart when you run into them. It's always that, that reference, that 150 class or 150 inch deer. 
Uh, Brent, I ain't never killed a inch and a half spur. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> I've never killed. I've never killed a one fifty. So, so what what does it take? What's it take? And 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 I think we really hit on it. There's there's things that a, that a hunter or a landowner can control, and there's some things that you can't. And can you mitigate some of those things that you can't by really focusing on things that that we we've said you can control? Well, I think right off the bat, it's it's known um, whether you're shopping for property, you're doing anything, you you got to have deer in your area to grow them. And that goes to genetics, okay? That's the, look, if you keep up with what's harvested around your area, you, you're going to know what's been killed. I mean, even it goes back to the 80s, you know, what your father knows killed. So the genetic code is, is the factor that we can't really, you know, fix, but we can tune it up. We can spike it. And, and what do you think about that, Mitt? I mean, well, what I think about is is I know that the history of your farms, and I know what I was thinking about. And you know, where did we get the number one fifty? Well, the one fifty, where at least the way I'm thinking about it, is when I'm developing my farm, I want the ability to hunt a one fifty every year. I agree. That was my goal. That was my goal when I set out to buy that to buy that farm. Well, the first thing that I have to realize is that not every place, not all my hunting tracks have that ability for a lot of the different factors. And we're going to talk about all those, but that was my number one thing. And so what you just said in site selection, I mean, I've seen you go to the ends of the earth to bounce on tracks really, really fast because you knew they were in the right place. No question. And Plugged into yeah. that historically, you know no, your network right. enough. You know where some of these big deer come from. That's right. Whether that's social media, word of mouth. Chris owns a, a processor, and, and that gives you a really good insight into where the deer are coming from, and that, that's another good point. That's right. I mean, it. it I'm not kind of cheating, but I'm, I usually get the biggest deer in the surrounding counties because I'm – you know, in a prairie region, and and uh, you know, you start taking in three, four thousand deer, and and all these big bucks come in. Start learning. Where you those start big bucks learning are. where those deer are coming from. Well, um, people and, talk to you. That's too. right. They come in that's with right. that deer. You've always got that story. That's right. And and you know, one thing I don't do, I don't tell people's business because you know, you you start telling about where that big deer come from, then, I mean, they. See you. They're not coming back. But in your mind, you're seeing the regions I, I like that consistently that's right. produce big deer. That, that's correct. Yeah. And, and people tell me all the time, which you know I'm in the land and timber business, they tell me all the time, hey, I'm looking, Chris, I want a good place to kill big deer. I said, well, you just have to, you have to key in to where big deer are and good neighbors. And, and then, you know, the, go, go for the rest of it. Well, let's but talk about let's that yeah, let's, let's, in terms let's... of genetics. Yes. And so one thing that in our region, we have the Tom Bibby waterway that, that, that separates, you know, this region, that region that That's Chris right. is talking about that he, you know, receives those deer from the plant. And just historically, just from, from our observations, I don't think anybody in the area would argue with this, is that the west side of the river has a higher potential to produce bigger bucks than the east side of the river, all else being equal. No question. And so there's 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 conversation around the water cooler as, hey, why is that? Is it, you know, the, the knee-jerk reaction say it's genetics. See, right. I was going to say the knee-jerk reaction is from, from, from somebody who may not 
may not be as tuned in on the science side, the knee-jerk reaction would be, or the, the hot take is going to be soul. Yeah. I, I think so. I've heard both arguments. Yes. And y'all I, I have think too. So too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, I, I know this, Mitch, you're you're ag man, and that's your background all your life. Um, stuff grows better in the prairie than it does in the in the hills. Am I correct or not correct? Well, a higher yield potential, probably yes. a better way to say that's it. That's right. Yeah. So, it, you know, so looking at from a deer, each bite of food that he may take would be higher in nutrients than it would be on another another site is that yep. is that a true yep. statement yep that's right more uh, efficient transfer well and but there's some interesting research just came out and we're trying to kind of jumping ahead just a little bit because that that's touching on a little bit of the nutritional value. That's right. so i want to come right. back to that that's one right. thing before we go there i want to talk about you know some of the the research that bronson strickland and, he, and those guys over there at the msu deer lab are, are doing some of the best you know whitetail research well they do it every day in the country and they love it bronson loves it i mean you know that if you're and been i'm around good friends him. with bronson and, and so is chris and and we're always picking his brain and, and trying to learn from from him but one thing that he taught me and probably resonated with me more than anything is that bell-shaped curve and so when you start thinking about the 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 potential of an area to grow deer let's just well here's a good example this is probably the, the the idea that struck me the hardest when bronson introduced me to this so when you look at five and a half year old bucks their antler potential averaging all five year old bucks together let's look at mississippi versus texas all right okay what would you guess, and you probably guys probably know, but if you don't, what would you guys guess the, the antler potential for Mississippi? And I looked this up to verify it you know, before today, but what would you guess the, the antler potential for a five-year-old buck in the state of Mississippi would be? Statewide. 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 State 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 Coast, Delta, everything State on again. Yep. I'm going to say um, 127 to 130. I was going to say mid-130s, yep. one end of the spectrum okay. of the Delta. So Bronson the broke it down in two different regions, a higher-quality region. He would probably call that the Delta, and the lower coastal plain is the second one. So 121 for the lower coastal, 130 for more more productive areas of the state. Right. All right. Let's go down to South Texas in that Golden Triangle where they're consistently growing 240, 50-inch free-range whitetails. <laughs> I mean, routinely. Right. What is their five-year-old average genetic potential? You know, you would think it would be in the 140s. You but would I'm, think it'd be higher, but yeah. because you're asking me, I'm, I'm wanting to take the under. Right. <laughs> You'd be right. So it's actually two inches lower than our more productive ground here. So 128. Now we're comparing how many counties to an entire state, too. So that's that's, right. that's, yeah, that's right. right. You're right. But I thought that was very, very interesting. So really it, it, what it tells me is, all right, I can't, behind, I can't hide behind genetic inferiority anymore. That's right. That's what it's telling me. And That's so it right. gives me hope on we're thinking about there's nothing you can do about well, genetics. It <clears throat> what it's telling you is, hey, it's, we got the genetics here. That's right. That's so right. It goes to it, individual. It's nothing Nothing maybe you can do about it directly, but it's maybe less of a limiting factor. That's right. That was my take-home message, yeah. Brad. And so that encouraged me when we start talking about genetics. We can't really do anything about genetics. You're right, but that's a good thing because we have the genetic potential. Right. And so then you got to start looking at the factors that we can influence. That's and right. now we start moving down the line from genetics to nutrient and age, which we can have a little bit more influence. And that That's gets right. me back to what you were talking about, Chris, on the other side. And so now coming full circle around where you were going, there's some research that, that Bronson's doing and, and, and a, 
multi-state research environment that's saying that when you take that, that young tender growing point of this native vegetation, all right, you take it in a, in a spot that it doesn't have really good inherent nutrient values, soil nutrient values. You would call that a lower quality habitat region versus a high quality habitat region that we would call the Mississippi Prairie or the Mississippi Delta. What's interesting is when you take the, the growing points of those plants, those native plants, and you analyze that for, for crude protein, digestibility, all the desirable things. Um, somebody didn't put their uh, their phone on silent. That'd be me, sorry. Yeah, airplane mode. That's right. Yeah. Don't worry about it. The nutrient levels are the same. No difference. Hmm. So that dispels the, the, the theory of, hey, the higher quality nutrient value areas versus low quality, that explains the, the, the antler because the plant is only uh, is only a um, uh, a transfer device from nutrients from the soil to the deer. That's all the plant That's right. is. He, he bites it and he gets it, and he yeah. gets it. And so, if those if those growing points are the same nutrient value, you have to say that the deer are getting the equal amount of nutrients. The argument could be though is that in those higher productive areas, I'm growing more, more of, of those it. plants. Availability. It's, it's, they don't have to search for it. And, and it goes back to where we've always gone. A well-managed place can have more, can have more right. than a pine thicket that has not been thinned or an old field that has not been, that, that, that they've let get established to 10, 12 years old. You know, it's just, it, it goes back to the, uh, and we'll get into that, it goes back to the, the management. So the if we're talking use. about the nutrient levels and we, we're, we're satisfied that the, each individual plant you know, has the same, what can we do on our track to try to eliminate the nutritional deficiencies on our track? Right. How do we do that in the in the plants that we grow from a food plot standpoint? How do we do that in local management and forestry management, Chris? I mean, I, how do we do that to, to increase more of that high quality available nutrients? Right. Well, you know, my... I've, now, my place, I'm just going by my perspective on what I've done on my place. My places, and, and I love to manage them. So I set out to keep them at least 17 18% protein as much as I can the whole year, okay? Whether it's burns, whether it's summer food plot, soybeans, vetch, whatever that we're planting that year. Um, Ladino clover, balanza. Around, I mean, whatever we do, but my whole deal was, is I want to try to grow those antlers through their stomach. So I wanted them to, to have something there to eat all the time. They never stress. And, th and that's what I've done. And, and I think, I don't know this, but I think I've been pretty, pretty uh, competitive um, as far as my neighbors and in, in, in doing that and producing. Um, you know, we usually the, kill a 150 or plus deer every year and sometimes two um, on, on good years. I mean, what do you think, man? Well, what, what I've noticed on, on your tracks is what you've seen from a, the differences that I'm seeing from what you're doing from what your neighbors are doing. And that's doing two things. Number one, it's, it's growing more of those, those deer. But also, you're making your tracks the most desirable tracks in the area. That's the difference between what you're doing and what your neighbors are doing that gives you that competitive advantage. When because call it what you want to, 
holding these big deer is competition because all your neighbors are trying to do it. There's too. no question. There's no question. So what can the guy do? So let's say, let's say the guy, the guy or the gal listening, that isn't on one of those, in one of the, one of those areas with that rich soil, can he offset some of his location challenge with supplement? Whether that's you know the, like right now we're at the end of June, mineral stations, or supplemental protein. Can can you offset some of that challenge if you're specifically you're trying to encourage antler growth? You know, we're targeting this 150. So, so can he do something like that on maybe a lower quality soil? Well, some of that research that that's starting to come out now, we're going to learn a lot more as we as we, we get more of it. But it implies that yes, you can. And and I'm not a big it's, it's a of- mineral transfer. Like you said, if you've got good soil, you're getting it from the plant. That's right. Right. If you don't have good soil, you offset that. It's just like us. It's I just agree. like us. You, you know, your healthy diet, if you're, if you're missing something or something you can't eat, you can get it through a supplement in a bottle. You, yeah. you know, for years, experts have said, you know, hey, you know, supplemental feeding. And, you know, you're not just, you're just, you're just giving them, um, just giving them something right then. Well, I look at that a little different. And me and me to spar back and forth over it. Minerals, too. If that superstar deer, okay. That deer that you've identified, that he's great. He's two and a half years old. He's a 10-point already. He looks good. He's got long. I mean, you know, you know, everybody's got that superstar, okay? I mean, everybody's seen him. I mean, uh, so I, I, I think if that deer gets what you're saying, Brent, if he's on the other side of the river, if he's in a spot that's not. He's in a pine thicket. He's in a pine thicket. Hey, we had a deer last year, 160-something <laughs> inch deer killed on the east side of the river. You know, the deer had a five-mile radius that he was going. I was I think thinking he, about the the yeah. west side one in the pine thicket that right. was so big. Oh, yeah, that's right. So we got two out of the prairie. 180. You know, that's right, 180. That's correct. They and were then, not in the prairie. Not in the prairie. Right. And then we had a high 160s that come out of red ground. Clay. Red clay. So, hey, those deer got what they needed. No doubt. Oh, yeah. You know, so that, you know, that it's a... Well, just for the record, and Chris kind of alluded to it, just sparring back and forth. I'm, I'm not going to say I'm anti-supplemental feeding, but I really want to try to figure out on my track how can I do that from you know early succession, managing the habitat. It's a more sustainable, more sustainable approach to how can I meet those needs or find those limiting factors and fix them in the habitat as opposed to the supplemental feeding. And I don't have anything against supplemental feeding. Not feed them out of a bag. I, I don't have anything against that. Right. Um, but I just know on my track, I'm trying to figure out ways where I can fill those those lowest limiting factors from a more sustainable way from habitat management as opposed to, right. you know, out of a feeder. And without concentrating them. Right. Congregating and concentrating them because there's some other challenges and, and, and concerns there. So, Well, it's a, you know... Whether you're in timber production or anything, and and middle, I think he'll agree with me on this. The more productive every acre you have, I don't care if you don't have but 10 acres, you've got 200 acres, you don't have to have 2,000 acres to kill deer. I mean, the deer that me and Brent were just talking about, one of them was killed on a 52-acre track, and the other one was killed on a 40-acre track. So it, it doesn't matter... And one of them were on size. five different trail cameras. That's right. I mean, everybody from from 
a guy in the backyard had a corn feeder in the backyard to you know it yeah. and a cell camera rush rushing right. home from work that's right and gives a picture and, 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 yeah. and, and i want to speak to one thing that chris said it's really really important and and, and i see you do it more subconsciously you don't even you don't even think about it when you're doing it but when you're walking your tracks you're trying to find the most limiting factor all right and and what i mean by that is the most limiting factor in your area how can we make our track the the most um, desirable for that those those deer in our neighborhood and so a good example is if i got soybeans on four sides of my track i probably don't need to plant two acres of cow peas you know what i mean so and if i got if I've got cut over all the way around my thicket, I probably don't need a, a, any more bedding. Habitat. I agree with that. And so that's what I've seen you do really, really good at is find out what the most limiting factor is in your area, and that's going to be very site-specific. And you go to the heart of what these deer have the most limiting factor of, and you're addressing that. We used to make you track right up here as an example early successional you saw that the, that successional was getting up uh, up higher your understory wasn't as desirable anymore what'd you do you set it back That's you right. set it back with herbicide and fire those are the types of things that i think you do subconsciously that we could benefit from all of us being much more intentional about when you start talking about you know from a from a nutrient standpoint and habitat quality those are the things that I think make the, the biggest, biggest difference. And that really goes into something that, you know, every time you hear about deer management and, and protein and nutrition, the focus is on food. But one thing I've seen from both of you guys is, is an emphasis on cover, bedding cover, creating cover, and, and not just creating it randomly, strategically. I mean, oh, you're, lay, you're laying no out a track where that's you can right. not only is it good for the deer – you're laying down a track with access in mind. Wind. You're not blowing deer out. Wind, Wind access, neighbors. One. Pressure. Uh, yeah. Other geographical things, whether that's a highway or a flood-prone area, high ground, topography. Y'all put a lot of thought into cover. When it was the most limiting factor. And a great example that's of true. Chris's track, he bought a track that was 100% solid bottomland hardwood. So obviously the limiting factor there could have been, you know, bedding cover, thickets. Well, what did Chris do? Started going in and putting patch clear cuts in. Checkerboard those across yep. there. Putting sunlight right. on the ground. Putting that that closed canopy, opening that up. Big, big impacts. When you start talking about, you know, you know, we'll change the subject a little bit. We're talking about 150, but something else I've seen those types of management decisions make a difference on Chris is, you know, uh, turkey nesting habitat and poult rearing habitat. And I've seen his turkey populations go through the roof. Yep. Um, so that, that, you know, genetics and, and nutrients, you could argue back and forth whether we could influence that or not. But one thing that we 100% all agree on, the good all stuff, agree right? on that we can influence and everybody can influence. Not to call the turkeys on the roost. Is birthdays. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Birthdays. You've got to keep your hand, finger off that trigger. Yep. Age. You, you've got to let them get old. If they can't, number one factor. I agree. Everything we're talking about, and, and the easiest to control. control. That's, that's what I was. The easiest say. to control. Yeah. I mean, I can I can tell you, I can tell you for a fact, and I and all three of us was in on this little little uh, little experiment, would you say? But you know, we tagged deer at um, in our place. We put together eighteen thousand acres of well managed everybody on mature what is that, trophy 2011 
2011, I think so. Around, around that time. So we was in a in a venture with Mississippi State. We we actually landowners put in the money and 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 we tagged, uh, we captured deer, dropped nets on them, caught them in boxes, and we really sought after to to tag and catch the half year old to one and a half year old deer. Okay. Known age. Known we age. We weren't guessing. We, we, that's, right. that's right. Now we did catch some older ones and we guessed the age and stuff, but we wanted to you know we really want to catch the button bucks and the spikes if you want to know the truth because we knew then. We were there with them, so I and and my numbers can be off plus or minus, but I'm gonna tell you we started we caught like 200 deer, 200 bucks. We tagged them. Everybody agreed to we would allow these deer to um, to grow to be five years old before we harvested them. So I mean we had some skin in the game. We were putting the money in it. Like I said, Mississippi State was helping us the whole way, and um, so we start off with 200 deer. Well, at at two and a half years old. Hey, we had about the whole bunch. I mean, there was some natural mortality. Uh, maybe a kid blew one down. Then we go to three and a half. Well, three and a half, and you're going to hear me say this every podcast we talk about big deer, is those superstars start peeking through. So when the superstars start peeking through, you know, we start seeing them, especially at three and a half. And, and what I'm saying a superstar, I'm saying a 10-point at three and a half, you know, 16 inches wide, good mass, long tines already set he's only three and a half so we knew the age of those deer so at three and a half we started seeing some get killed accidentally and and you know so we were losing some of them well that's right (laughs) by four and a half by four and a half these is well-managed place now you do have your outliner you do got that uncle bobby that'll sit over on the line and blow one down and and i mean that's just part of any any person's place that guest. That, that guest, yep. So at four and a half, we lost about half of them. Gone. Some of them would be turned in because they did have tags in their ears, and we would have to do the research. But half of them were gone, and, and no, you know, we had any, we didn't have any evidence where they went. What was the original sort of understanding or gentleman's agreement, if you would, to go to four? Five. Five, five and a half. So five was okay. So we was five was the target. Five and a half. Okay. So you think about this now. We start off with 200. When they were two and a half years old, we almost had all of them. Three and a half years old, we started losing some, yeah. but not a lot. Four and a half years old, half of them gone. Well, I'm going to get to that at the end, and, and uh, it, was, it was so funny. Now, you remember, I own a processing plant. So I would get some of these deer up here at the processing plant, we have a ears cut all the way through well so i kind of could spot some of them before they came and and uh i was like hmm so once we got to five and a half years old guys we had less than 10 left out of 200 now these are these are places that that uh, that are really great hunters really big places i mean four five six hundred to a thousand acres places and we only had 10 left. And landowners that had an investment and, and also. And landowners that had skin investment. in the game. Well, let me just tell you this. Bottom line, the people that was participating in it were seeing these big deer walking, and they were shooting them and not shooting them at dark, couldn't see the tags, blowing them down. Yeah. So we lost them, uh, you know, and that's on a well-managed place. So we did have a deer that went over 170 inches, um, and we did have one that – Lived to be nine years old. He was killed two years ago, and and he he peaked out in the mid one sixties. But when we killed him, he was only about one fifty. But you now that's eighteen thousand acres 
of, and, and these were continuous acres. Now, remember, you got these outline tracks, but that's how they disappeared. So I can tell you, getting back to me, where we're going to age, that finger trigger controls age. If you shoot that superstar and he's three and he's 130 inches, he's never going to live to be 150 to 160. You know what I think about when, um, when, you, when you talk about that is, is the DMAP program. Yeah. And the DMAP program came along. It did. It moved us down the road, no doubt. It did. But agree. it had its own limitations. And one thing, because I was in a, a club at Como, we participated in the DMAP program, and we were on antler restrictions, all right, main beam length, number of points, things like that. Man, yeah. So what we went from shooting four and five points to now we were shooting 120-inch bucks. And so the first two or three years, our, our deer size went through the roof, all right, and then after about three or four years, it planed off, and we didn't kill. Or we were used to killing an occasional, you know, 140, 150. Now we're not killing any of those, and the biggest deer we're killing is 125 inches. So you deer. raise your minimum, and you drop that maximum. That, and that, the that. reason why, and I didn't understand that then. All our club members were getting frustrated and not knowing. I mean, we got on this DMAP program, not killing as big a deer as we once were. And I fast forward 20 years, I didn't understand it then, but I'm just now starting to understand the difference in this antler restriction and what Chris is talking about, the age. It's all about the age, got nothing to do with the antler restriction. So you go back to that bell-shaped curve that we've talked about before, and we're talking about that average buck at the peak of that. So if you can picture a bell-shaped curve in your mind, that average is in the middle. That's where most of those antler sizes are going to be, so 128 inches. Well, think about on the left side of that bell-shaped curve, you got a smaller population of deer that will never get to 128 at five and a half years old. Chris, you got examples every year where you kill eight or 10 of them a year on your place that'll be a 100-inch deer and be old as Methuselah. That's right. All right? Well, on the flip side of that bell-shaped curve, you got a five and a half-year-old deer on the small population, maybe one in 100, that you got that LeBron James and that Michael Jordan. That that one that does get to be 160, 170 inch deer. Well, here's the thing. Here's what this Como Hunting Club <laughs> philosophy got us. Not just Como, but yeah, yeah, all, all over the state. That's yeah. right. How big was that right side of that bell shaped curve? How big was he at three and a half? He was 128. There's no yep. question. And we There's shot no him down, and whole time wondering why can't we shoot a big deer? That's right. Yep. And we that, said earlier today. We're talking about this topic, you know, growing a 150. And I said, Mitt, I've, I've never killed a 150, but I've killed several three-year-old 130s. So I've contributed to this. I've seen the other side of this. And, and that's have. that deer. We all have. That's that target. I killed a 150, but I killed him two years early. He was 134. And, and I think that goes back to individual identifying your deer on your place. Well, I tell you, you've it, got to the cameras are so important. They are. The history yep. of these deer are so important. You better watch them. And I'm telling you, you can see those those Michael Jordans at three and four years old. You can identify them. When you've, and when you've looked at pictures of him, yes, sir. he doesn't get you as shook up when he walks out there or when he chases a doe across mm-hmm. that food plot. Mm-hmm. And but you don't, I tell, you don't make that reflex I tell you're familiar people, with him. I tell people all the time, they say, man, Chris, look at this picture of this deer. What do you think it's going to score? And, and, and most of the time when people come over, look, when they flip that phone out during right before deer season, you already know they got deer picture. Yeah. And, and what I tell people is that the serious people that listen is you spot, <laughs> you spot those deer. Would that be me and you, Brent? When they're two or three years old. I mean, you spot him. 
You yeah. see him out there. That's right. I'm telling you, no matter if you're in Texas, Missouri, Illinois, or Mississippi, if he's three years old and he's a 10-point, he's special. I agree with that. You agree with that, man? 100%. He's special. Because yep. a white-tailed deer comes out of the ground wanting to be an eight-point. Yep. If you got G4s, you got something. You're special. You said and, something just then, Brent, that made me, made me giggle. Is that, you know, when a, when he walks out and you kind of know him, you don't get that buck fever. You don't get that excitement. Well, you've I, seen you 500 pictures of him. You don't feel that urgency to shoot him. And that got me thinking. The ground it. check tendency leaves you because you've already checked him. And so because of that, if you think about it, the, the, the biggest deer typically grown on a track. Now think about this because it applied to me my whole deer hunting career. The biggest deer generally on a track is slightly bigger or as big as the biggest deer that that person's ever killed. Think about that. I agree with that. So if, if, you, if you're if you at your evolution of deer hunting yeah. where a 125 is a big deer, you're going to shoot a 130. I agree. You're going to shoot it. If, you're, if your evolution where you are as a deer hunter, where you're waiting on a 150, well, you're not going to shoot that 130. Yep. You see where I'm going with that? Mm-hmm. And so that's that, that's that insulator of that age, and everybody inherently does it because I can't say that if I don't have a, a, a three-and-a-half-year-old 170 walk out on me this year, I won't shoot him. And I'm just as guilty in that regard when we're trying to grow a mature deer as the guy shoots a three-and-a-half-year-old at 120. No difference. There's no difference. Well, man, I say all the time, and I've heard you tell me, look, and, and we tell people, guest, guest. Don't look at the horns. Look at the body. Look at the deer. You know, I I thought I knew. I, for the last 25 years, I have studied deer and researched deer and lived and bred deer. But I haven't. I didn't learn a thing about deer till I started watching them. Just started watching them. And when I started watching deer and letting them walk, leave that rifle and, 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 and up I was, in the corner listen, of the shooting now, house. Don't get me wrong. I started off hunting nothing. Okay. I mean, I'd hunt anywhere where somebody would let me. And I love to hunt. You know I love to hunt a small yeah, track. I'm there now. Hey, I love to hunt a small track. <laughs> and and um, But I, I, I've never really learned about deer until I started watching them and, and watching what they do and watching how they are affected by what we do, how we manage them. I mean, you know, they're, look, I grew up in Lowndes County, Mississippi. When, when I was young, it was a big thing to see a deer. You know, I, I don't remember seeing a deer until I was about 10, 11 years old. Ever. I mean, there weren't just a handful of places that had them. Now we got one of the biggest populations in the state of Mississippi. And you're talking about a, a success story. I mean, I you know, when we were little, we didn't we didn't see them. Uh, I mean, did you, Brent, when growing up? I mean, not it, nothing like now. No. So we're we're there, and and, and um, you know, I can remember, Mitch. You know this. I remember an eight point getting killed when I was 15. We rode that sucker in the back of the truck to it ruined, so everybody in the country could see it. And I mean, that's just, and now we wouldn't even pick the gun up to even look at him, which I, you know, was a lot funner back then. Yeah. Uh, I really agree well, on that. You one. know, one thing that you ask yourself, you know, why, why do we do that? And I know one thing that creeps into the back of our mind when we got that deer that's, man, man, I, he's not quite there, but golly, I want to shoot him. Well, the reason that we're all thinking that is it, he may walk across the line and get shot tomorrow. That's right. And, and I had a good, a good buddy of mine tell me that, and I was struggling with a situation one year where I had one up close to a line and the deer spent a lot of time, you know, on the neighbor and he was in that marginal category. And I said, man, 
I think I'm I think I'm just gonna shoot him. I don't man, I don't wanna I don't wanna pass him up anymore. He may not make it till next year. I was making air justifying and making every excuse under the sun. And my buddy looked me square in the face and said, What if he don't? What if he don't get killed? What if your neighbor don't shoot him? Yep. And, and look, because here's one thing me and you talked about earlier, Brent. One guarantee. Once he rides in the back of your truck, he's done. He ain't growing yeah. anymore. He ain't giving me one ride in the Z seventy one. That's all. Long That's as he, it. That's all. Well, <laughs> long as he comes to me, at least I get a couple hundred dollars out of it. But uh. that's right. But yeah, that that that's the oldest and the most relatable reason to shoot one. We pull that trigger, and I did it. I did it earlier last deer season. I shot a three and a half year old. He may have been four. Either way, he was an all star. He was a ten point mid one thirties. 136-inch 10-point, and I knew when I pulled the trigger that he'd be something special next year that I shouldn't, but I let some environmental, you know, there's some there's some development going on, building houses real close. I was listening to an air to a nail gun when I pulled the trigger. That, that may have contributed. And then you got your sandwich between that and a neighbor that, you know, they hunt too, and they'll shoot him for sure. And and that was that justification. And like I said, yeah, when I pulled the trigger, yeah. I knew I probably shouldn't. It, it was bittersweet. It's great deer. One of the best deer I've ever killed. But now let me tell any listeners that we're listening to, if you are, if a 130-inch deer is as big as you've ever killed, and it makes you happy and it gets you excited, hey, shoot him. I agree. I, that, that's the thing. But, but right now... We're trying to grow one. Growing on 150. That's so that, right. and that's that's a great point, Brandon. And, and so the title of what you kind of challenged us to talk about today is how to grow 150. Well, there's there's really three categories of, of deer hunting evolution. We've all been there. It's maximum harvest. When you went to when you went to fourth grade, man, won't know how many you shot that weekend. Yeah. He didn't care how big he was. Yeah, that's right. How many? And then you get to where you're optimizing that, but you're starting to shoot a little few more bigger deer. And then you get to that spot to where, look, I really want to maximize my, my own output, my antler, uh, you know, maximum output on, on that antler size. And so that's just an evolution. And so we're certainly not talking about, you know, because we've all been in those stages. Um, it's just the stage that we're in right now. How can we maximize that antler growth? Well, if you look at maximizing your land and, and doing the best that you can do, the more deer that you can put in that five-year-old age structure, you agree, Mitt? One hundred percent. The better your odds are killing one yep. every year. Yep. So it's a numbers game, and this is something Bronson taught me. It's a statistical numbers game, and so when you start looking at that 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 bell-shaped curve, the number of deer out of a hundred, that's a percentage that's over there on the right side of that bell-shaped curve, they are so few. No They're question. so free. You gotta, you gotta grow, you gotta raise and grow and get to maturity. So many deer, and the statistics show that it's just two or three out of a hundred that even have the genetic potential to be that superstar that we're talking about. So that's why these superstars that Chris is talking about are so, I mean, hyper sensitive yeah. about you know yep. taking care of him making sure that we, we do everything right. And, and it wasn't until I started putting together genetic potential and age that I really under, started understanding, you know, what that looks like. And when you start separating horn size with age in your mind, when you're making a harvest decision, that's when you're going to be able to start moving into that category where you can consistently grow 150s and get your neighbors to come along too. I don't want to, you know, yeah. you can't just it, It's it a job. Listen, it is a job. It is a job worrying about them. 
worrying about if they're going to make it, worrying about if somebody gets them. Hey, worried about if something naturally kills them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a job, and, it, and it's, it's a five-year job. You think about it, growing one of these big rascals on your place and him having him live there and having him stay, okay? And, and it, it's a job, and, it, and it's not a fun job because you worry about him, but it's so rewarding. And the recruitment of it, it's not like you got oh. another one next year guaranteed. No, it's not it, 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 you got to be ready, and, 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 and there's a few things that I've seen. You got to be okay. You got to make the decision early on before you get in that shooting house, before you get in that situation that you're not going to pull the trigger on something else. That way you don't get – you don't have to make that decision out there when you're looking at it. Premeditated. That's right. You made up your mind before you got out there. <laughs> And then you might not shoot a buck. You might be the one at the gas station or at the processor that doesn't have the story to tell that well, you year. Hands in your pocket. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> now, you might not have the tax dermot bill that year either. That's so, right. I mean, <laughs> there's some well, returns I, look, to it. I know how it is. But the last two years, we haven't had anything to shoot. That's right. I mean, so, every material deer we've had has been a six or seven or an eight. You just, I'm telling you, managing that superstar takes time patience and money and birthdays yeah yep. you gotta time, let him get older right. you gotta let him get older it's it's your time and his time that's right it takes i mean there was there's a statistic that they um that they raised some deer down in texas um and looked at the, the average um boone and crockett score from an age standpoint and if you look at at, at an individual's genetic potential at at one and a half years old they wasn't but 25 percent there of their genetic, of their individual genetic potential. Right. At two and a half, they were fifty-eight percent of their genetic potential. Three and a half, seventy-eight percent. Four and a half, ninety percent. And it wasn't until five and a half years old that that individual deer was expressing his ninety-eight percent of his genetic potential. And so, if you're trying to grow that deer as big as he could possibly grow, you got it. Looks get like five. to me that 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 five-year-old is going to be where you're going to have to land. Well, it goes back to that study that we done. We had them all the way till they were four and a half. Yeah. And when they started peaking, getting some mass on them, getting some time length on them, they started getting gone. And I'm going to tell you, they started getting gone in the back of that Chevrolet. To, they, they got to be a size that yeah. I started getting buck fever. That's right. That's right. And people shot them. And these are good. I, I'm telling you, so you think about growing one in the wild, growing one on small tracks. It's tough, guys. But it can be done. And it's fun. I mean, there ain't – we – we bounce stuff off each other. Brent, I call you two, three times a week. We talking about things, different Sending things that we're trying. Back and That's forth. right. A lot, it, a lot of analyzing pictures. It's it's really fun and and um it's it's really rewarding. I'm so what, what's 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 some takeaways? What's some takeaways somebody can sit down and do if they're gonna come down and get that Sunday morning sermon sort of bullet points? Uh, At three points and a point. That's right. <laughs> I'm gonna say number one is age. I think I think number one is age because that's where you got the most control. No question, age, you I, I think, do I not think, have to shoot that deer. Yeah, and Chris it, said something years ago that stuck with me and it made sense. Is is you can control? You got age, nutrition, and genetics, and you really can't control genetics, but you can you can mitigate a lot of genetics with age and nutrition. Yep. So when I think about genetics, I'm thinking about individual deer. Forget genetics from a region standpoint. Yeah, region. That's right. And so that's right. Within you, a herd, within individual a herd, genetics. So if, if, if you understand that, 
then don't worry about that so much. Worry about getting him to his maximum potential, whatever it is. Because everybody likes to shoot a mature deer. I know that one of my favorite deer I've ever killed, I shot a, a big five-and-a-half-year-old buck on, on Chris's place. And eight Wait, point may have been may have been a hundred hundred twenty inch deer. May have been. I got a hundred twenty seven inch six point that came off of there. Yeah, see, right. I mean, look, <laughs> who doesn't wall. like a love? Who doesn't love a big six point? <laughs> and so right. just getting those deer to maturity, yeah. it doesn't matter necessarily the antler size. I just love a mature deer. Right. And so if we can get them to that, to whatever their genetic potential is, getting them there. All right. Well, how do we make sure that we're maximizing that? Then it's making sure that we got the nutritional values there that can maximize their own genetic potential. Past that, we can't worry about anything else. And guys, we can talk nutritional. We're going to. That's going to be a I podcast. Say, I think we'll come we're, back with a part two on one fifties because I think there's several there's several conversations yes. that that these topics are going to lead into. Well, I can tell you, there's some stuff that me and Mid has done on other managed properties, our own other managed properties different people's properties that has really really i mean they're you know people coming to me saying, hey yes made, made a difference they told me all in the world yep. um and i think that's another that's a that's a good yeah. we'll come back i, I think we come yeah. back with the part two on, on the 150 i think we have maybe a 150 series i think so uh, i think because so. there's a lot of like i said some of these topics are going to lead into some in, into some rabbit holes I mean, we we talked for forty five minutes, and we hadn't even said the word coal yet. <laughs> That's a whole another topic. Isn't it? Look, well, Mitt got out of his chair when the, I said coal. The, the price of them bullets, I'm gonna say it's, it'd be something to think about. All right, well, guys, what y'all want to add before we wrap it up? Um, just be- stay tuned. It's gonna be fun. Yes. We're you know we're really set out when we started to make this podcast is to give our perspective, whether it's right or wrong. Well, I mean, none of us have PhDs in wildlife but we actually sit on the tractor we actually manage the place we actually run that fire yes yeah, so, real so world there's no question and, and, and listen i've made tons of mistakes and i've made tons of mistakes but i want to tell and and i want to tell the people so they can learn hey i remember what chris said on that on that podcast he tried this and he wished he would have done this yeah you know, and, and and you agree with me on that? No, no. One thing about it, we're not afraid to fail. No, we'll try no. something. That's exactly right. <laughs> In a minute. That's exactly right. Yep. Well, look, I appreciate uh, appreciate you guys getting in here. Let's let's getting together, and 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 I look forward to this. Yeah, it's, we're it's gonna, gonna do be this fun. And and, uh, and and anybody out there, if you got some questions, you know, send them in. We'll have a we'll have a way that you can yeah we'll reach have us. something up. You, you by send the time them in and, and listen. If we can't find the question, we'll make up something that's going to sound really good. <laughs> <laughs> I can promise you. All right, thank y'all, and we'll see y'all next time on the Southern Woodsman. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Southern Woodsman podcast. We'll be back next week. In the meantime. Please like and subscribe to whatever platform you're listening on and leave us a review if you enjoyed it. We'll be on YouTube soon as we build this out and the podcast grows, but we're on Facebook and Instagram at The Southern Woodsman. Thank you and have a great week.